Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. All right, let's pray. We're going to dive into this chapter. We have some incredible stuff that God wants to say to us, so let's just open our hearts. So, Father, we tell you today, we are here for you. Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would speak to our hearts today, that you would open our minds, open our ears to hear your voice. And Lord, I thank you that uh, you do not shy away from speaking to your children. You do not shy away from meeting them with your presence. So, Holy Spirit, I just pray, let your presence be felt in this time. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. So, to share with you all, we survived the youth all-nighter. Come on, Jesus. We made it through. We're alive and we're somewhat well. We're still recovering, but we're here. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to be in Leviticus 21. We're going to be reading out of the uh, NIV, New International Version translation. So, we're going to start this off in verse 1. It says, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the priests, the son of Aaron, and say to them, a priest must not make himself ceremonially unclean for any of his people who die, except for a close relative, such as his mother or father, his son or daughter, his brother, or an unmarried sister who is dependent on him since he, since she has no husband. For her, sorry, for her, he may make himself unclean. He must not make himself unclean for people related to him by marriage and so defile himself. Priests must not shave their heads or shave off the edges of their beards or cut their bodies. They must be holy to their God and must not profane the name of their God because they present the food offerings to the Lord. The food of their God, they are to be holy. They must not marry women defiled by prostitution or divorce from their husbands because priests are holy to their God. Regard them as holy because they offer up the food of your God. Consider them holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I who make you holy. If a priest's daughter defiles herself by becoming a prostitute, she disgraces her father. She must be burned in the fire. The high priest, the one among his brothers who had the anointing oil poured on his head and who has been ordained to wear the priestly garments, must not let his hair become unkempt or tear his clothes. He must not enter a place where there is a dead body. He must not make himself unclean, even for his father or mother, nor leave the sanctuary of his God or desecrate it, because he has been dedicated by the anointing oil of his God. I am the Lord. The woman whom uh, he marries must be a virgin. He must not marry a widow, a divorced woman, or uh, a woman defiled by prostitution, but only a virgin from his own people so that he will not defile his offspring among his people. I am the Lord who makes him holy. The Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, for the generations to come, none of your descendants who has a defect may come near to offer the food of his God. No man who has any defect may come near, no man who is blind or lame, disfigured or disformed, no man with a crippled foot or hand, 
or who is a hunchback or a dwarf or has any eye defect or who has festering or running sores or damaged testicles. No descendant of Aaron, the priest who has any defect, is to come near to present the food offerings to the Lord. He has a defect. He must not come near to offer the food of his God. He may eat the most holy food of his God as well as the holy food. Yet, because of his defect, he must not go near the curtain or approach the altar and so desecrate my sanctuary. I am the Lord who makes them holy. So Moses told this to Aaron and his sons and to all the Israelites. Oh, come on. So good. So what was the Lord saying to us? Drop it inside of the chat. Let me know what verse stuck out to you. Uh, this is one of those chapters, y'all. Oh, my goodness. It's a fun one. So, um, oh, I like this. Yeah, keep, keep keep dropping. If you got questions, drop them inside of the chat. And as I'm going along, I'll try to answer them. Sometimes it's hard to, like, bounce back and forth in the multitask, but I, I'll, I'll do my best. Um, thanks for sticking through the chapter. I know like in our culture and sometimes reading through chapters like this, they can be a little bit more difficult. Right. And it's like outside of, um, outside of our cultural and faith context to travel back in time a little bit and to understand why behind the what, you know, so God is saying something, but why is he saying this to the people? Um, one of the first things to uh, one of the first things to kind of throw in here is verse one. I really think it's good to understand context, right? So, whenever reading the Bible, and especially when you encounter things that you might have questions about, it's like, okay, some of these things might be a little bit tough. Like we just talked about burning people alive. Oh snap! Like this is this is rough. Like, or where do we just talked about? Um, you know, maybe some things that sound a little more explicit. Check out verse one. It says, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron. So God was speaking to the very people that were supposed to be ministering to him, teaching the people of God, teaching his nation how to worship, teaching his nation how to receive his word. The standard that God was giving the priesthood was meant to be so much higher than necessarily, um, I don't want to say like, like, uh, how I word it, uh, than other people, right? Their goal was to really take people into the presence of God, especially the high priest. Oh my goodness. I think I remember Pastor Brennan mentioning this recently. Um, and I just want to uh, reiterate it because it's so true. The high priest. Uh, back in this time period, would have to enter through uh, the curtain into the holiest of holies. And this curtain, uh, theologians and uh, some scholars believe this curtain was about seven inches thick. Like, it's no small curtain. Like, it's a mattress thick. And when they would go through this curtain and into the holy of holies, they would tie a belt around their waist and they would have a rope around their waist. And basically what would happen is, if they walked in and had any impurity inside of their life and inside of their heart, literally the glory of God, the presence of God would kill them. It was insane. And they would know this when the bell would stop dinging. <laughs> when they heard him stop moving around, that's how they knew. And they would pull the rope to get him out. Um, the priesthood was meant to live a very holy lifestyle before the Lord. 
They were meant to live pure before God. And this is who uh, the Lord was speaking to. So when you're kind of like holding these contexts, understanding it's like, you know, the Lord wasn't speaking to Joe Schmo in the tent down the camp. Uh, he was speaking to the ones who were supposed to minister to his presence and teach the people how to minister to his presence. There's just a, there, like, there's a different standard. Uh, it's in the same way in the new Testament. If you take a look through first Timothy, first, second Timothy and Titus, they lay out outlines as to what you have to do and how you have to live in order to be an elder inside of the body of Christ. And I'll tell you what church, you know, and even like all part of our pastoral staff, we hold those as tenants from God as to how we are supposed to be as priests to his church today, you know, that we want to be good with our own personal money, because how can we manage God's money without managing our own money, right? Like if our household's in a wreck, how could we ever minister to other people? God has a standard that he wants inside of the people ministering to his people. So you can kind of view it through a lens of he wants his priests healthy. Now, I want to change a gear inside of that. Because uh, priests were very much so an Old Testament concept. Uh, and depending on your denominational outlook, how you've come up, uh, how you've been raised, what your faith background is, uh, this next statement might sound a little bit weird to you, but I do want to just challenge you a little bit. You yourself are actually a priest now. You. And yes, ladies, even depending on your background with um, um you know, uh, 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 what is it? Denominations and like religious beliefs. You are a priest as well. First Peter two, nine states, we are a part of a Royal priesthood. Each and every person inside of here. When you said, yes, Jesus, I want to be a part of your life, a part of your story. And I want you to be a part of mine. We've made the decision and we had the privilege of becoming a priest and it's a part of our identity. Now, you know, some of us may think of priest as, uh, the person on Sunday morning, that sometimes walks down the aisle holding a large cross and, uh, uh, you know, does certain like ceremonies and traditions to bring us into the presence of the Lord. But I, I want to share something with you. This, this is a new part of your identity. And what Jesus died for on Calvary, when he went there, the presence of God was released from that Holy of Holies that we were just talking about through that seven inch curtain. That thing was ripped in two. When it was ripped into the presence of God, the glory of God was released from the temple. So we would no longer need a high priest to go in on our behalf and minister to God. Rather, he said, I want you to come to me directly now. I want you to come and meet with me directly. And I'm going to make myself accessible to you by the blood of my son. And when he did that, what he said was, I'm making each and every last one of you a priest. I'm making each and every last one of you able to access my presence and fill my heart. And that's what priests do. You know, a part of our ministry as priests, uh, I, I can't even tell you how much I love this. A couple of Sundays ago when Pastor Brennan uh, said from the platform, he was like, you know, when you think about our worship service, guys, if you explain it to someone who wasn't a Christ follower, this is Christian karaoke. Y'all, I almost fell on my seat. I've never heard someone say that before. <laughs> but, you know. If, if you don't have the heart of worship and the heart of a priest behind what we're doing, that's what's happening. It's Christian karaoke. and But when you hold the heart of a priest, what you're doing is you're ministering to the heart of God. You're ministering. Oh, that's your line, Doug. Come on. You're ministering to the heart 
of Jesus. And that's that's the priesthood, everyone. That's what it means. You yourself are able to fill the heart of Jesus. And when you're ministering to God, what you're saying is you have ministered to me so much. You have done so, so much for me, seen and unseen, known and unknown. I just want to return a little bit of it. I just want to tell you how much I love you. I just want to tell you how much I'm grateful for you. And I just want to take a moment and stop and touch your heart the way you've touched mine. That's the beauty about worship. It's not just songs. It's not, it's not just coming together. And, you know, even in the New Testament, a large form of worship is serving, right? Ministry, another definition to minister is serving. And as a priest, you serve. And to be able to just touch the heart of God is so beautiful to me. Because, and even the thought, I get to fill his heart. And I want to just kind of encourage you as we're heading into Thanksgiving next week. And even Pastor Marcus brought us up this past Sunday, which is why I want to tie it in. Um, Never forget where you came from. Next week, November 21st, that's next Monday. I'm celebrating eight years following Christ. It's my eighth birthday, y'all. And every time I get to about this time of year, I always remember the 19-year-old boy, I'm sorry, the uh, uh, 19, no, the 20-year-old boy that he called from the depths, the broken young boy that he looked at and said, I don't call you lost, I call you found hear me, don't ever forget where you came from. Because when we do, we start to get a really critical fault-finding spirit about us, about life, and our perception starts to change quick. When you remember where you came from, you remember the grace of God and becomes a lifestyle. And when it comes time to minister back to him, it becomes less of a chore, more of a privilege. And I'm telling you, fill the heart of God like he fills yours. So my application for you uh, for this first verse of just verse one (laughs) is take some time and reflect on where God brought you from. Remember the things he did for you. Don't forget God inside of the Old Testament uh, when he brought the people into the promised land. I'm sure we'll go through it. Uh, When he brought them in, he had them put stones in the river to remember what he did inside of their lives and how he brought them out of Egypt and what he did in the desert. And we really want these memorial stones in our lives to say, my God brought me through. My God brought me from here. Don't forget your memorial stones, y'all. So, uh, and I also want to encourage you because if you have been feeling like you're going through a dry spell with God, maybe a drought, a dry season, as sometimes we call it in church, uh, where things just don't feel as fresh to you, Where, uh, you know, maybe you feel like you've been losing your all for God and your your reverence for his presence. Uh, Take some time and and just remember where you came from. I I always for me, I always have this renewed sense of I can't believe I get to sit here. I can't believe I even get to sit in front of you. If you had told me uh, eight, nine years ago that I would be pastoring, I would have been. I, I, I don't know what I would have said. <laughs> Probably nothing I should be saying here. <laughs> Probably something really colorful. <laughs> but that's the beauty of just remembering where you came from. All right. So 
Let's go on to the next one. Verse six, because we have some meaty verses in here. I really want to get to uh, verse six. It says they must be holy to their God and must not profane the name of their God because they present the food offerings to the Lord, the food of their God. They are to be holy. Verse eight, regard them as holy because they offer up the food of your God. Consider them holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I who make you holy. So holiness is a really fun topic to talk about. Um, you know, uh, and I want to try and like teach you the best I can and just kind of chat about it. Uh, you kind of have righteousness and holiness inside of the Bible. I heard a pastor say once, righteousness is a lifestyle and holiness is a state of being. So righteousness by definition is right living before the Lord. And we are, um, uh, we are declared righteous by the Father through the blood of Jesus because there's nothing right in and of us by ourselves. Uh, holiness is a state of being. It, it's a part of who you are. And it's consecration. It's dedication. It's when God looks at you and says you're sacred. Uh, you may not feel that today, but hear me. I just want to say this to you. You are sacred to God. You are consecrated by God. You know, you'll hear sometimes preachers, pastors, and churches say like, oh, we got our golden calf. Many times that's the sacred thing a church may be holding on to that is uh, more outside of like the presence of the Lord will say, or more outside of uh, the things that God really wants for us and has for us. Uh, but hear me, I want to say something to you. That's an idol, but God looks at you, his church, his bride. And he says, you are sacred. You are holy. And when he looks at you and says, you are holy, what he's saying is you are set apart. And I want you to be holy because I'm a holy God. Holiness does come with a lifestyle. And lifestyle changes. And in many ways, it's like sanctification, right? Uh, and it's going through that process of just becoming holy. And that's areas in our lives becoming sacred and consecrated to God as life goes on. Um, I, I just want to say something to you about like the process of sanctification in general. Uh, you don't have to work that up. You don't have, and sanctification by the like, definitions, I always like try and make things plain. If you ever feel like things aren't plain, please tell me in the chat. Um, to make it plain, uh, it's the process of becoming more like Jesus. It's the character and nature of God becoming on display in my life as I grow in relationship with God. So in your sanctification process and your process becoming more like Jesus, I don't have to work it up and I don't have to make it happen. Like hear me. So many times we're like, all right, I got to figure out like how to do, like make something go on and how to change myself and do something. You know, the Holy Spirit will do a great job at it. You don't have to go hunting. He will bring it to your attention. But I do have a growth question for you today. What is God pruning in your life? How is God making you holy right now? Uh, if we were to sit down and just kind of go through your life, go through my life and look at what's going on, what are we producing, what's happening, you know, we would start figuring out, okay, this is probably what God is doing right now. This is probably how God is making me holy right now. Uh, the best way to find out what God is changing about you and in you is look at the fruit of your life. 
And honestly, just look at what, what is being produced from your life. And many times that's in the lives of people around you or in your life yourself, because fruit is something that's produced. And whether we know it or not, or like it or not, we mainly reproduce ourselves inside of other people. So a great way of finding out what God is sanctifying or what we have inside of us, or, you know, where's our, let's say our holiness at in a moment, or, you know, where our living is at, look at the fruit around you. So you can just kind of see if, uh, let's say God is working like gossip out of my life. Uh, you'll notice when you get around people, they start talking a certain way, start speaking a certain way, and uh, they start talking about certain topics. It's like, ooh, wait a second. <laughs> like, what's what's going on about this, right? Uh, to, to those of you who don't know, I used to work in a restaurant, uh, the company I worked for. So I started off waiting tables, but then they hired me shortly after into the corporate end of the restaurant group to open a restaurant for them. And I worked in tandem with the team. Uh, we were down there. My job was to lead uh, a portion of the team and really train the management staff. How do you run the restaurant, make it profitable, uh, staff culture and all that good stuff? Like, how do you make it like a joy for people to come to work? Um, as I was down there, there was another team member. This guy was incredible. He was so sharp. And uh, team members kept on coming to me and talking to me about everyone else. I'm like, what? Like why are you guys coming and talking to me about people? Like, can you stop? <laughs> like, like, I remember in my head, I'm thinking I'm in a different state. I'm by myself. And y'all, we're clocking like 100 hour work weeks, at least. It was insanity. It was fun, but never again. Um, and I kept on thinking, like, why do these people keep on coming and talking to me? So I went and talked to the team member. And I was like, can you help me? Like, I, I don't know what's going on. Everyone keeps coming and like sharing their stuff as far as like, like gossip, like what they think about this person, what they think about that person, all the drama, what they're upset about, like super critical about this. And he stopped, he looked at me and he said, yeah, wow, like that's crazy. I feel for you, bro. Just a quick question. Uh, what environment and atmosphere are you setting up in your relationships where people want to gossip to you? And I stopped dead in my tracks and looked at him. You know, first I'm all defensive. Like, I'm not setting anything up. Like, what do you mean? No, this is them. This is a them problem. It's not a me problem. Because let's be totally honest with ourselves. Um, uh, most times we would look at someone else and say, nah, that's a them problem. That's not a me problem. Um, I had to take an internal inventory. And I realized while I was down there, my attitude and even the way that I was presenting myself was creating an environment and creating relationships that welcome that form of conversation, welcome that form of relationship. Uh, we have to look at what fruit we're producing inside of our life because it wasn't God honoring. It wasn't Christ-like. It wasn't filled with his love. And, uh, you know, what I love is that Jesus always wants to make us holy. Like he says in verse eight, what does it says? I who make you holy. And he does pruning. He does processes where he grows us. And uh, when we have fruit coming out in our lives, we also have roots of things inside of our lives. I, I did like a whole message series once with the youth. It was called Roots and Fruits. And we went into the seed and the soils and all that good stuff. And, you know, I really wanted to uh, impart to them, like, what roots do you have taking root in your life? And you may have no idea. 
usually we don't know until the fruit gets like fully grown. And by that time it happens, we think that's what life is supposed to be like. Um, but I want to share something with you. Whatever we allow to take root in our life will produce fruit in our life. So if you have a seed of gossip or a tail bearing or, you know, whatever that may be inside of your heart, that fruit will grow. And it's not a Christ-like fruit. And each branch in me that bears fruit, and like not, not the bad fruit, but like good fruit, because we want the character of God, the kindness of God, the gentleness of God to grow inside of our life. When those branches produce that fruit, we have a reward from God for that. And it's called pruning. <laughs> and this pruning process produces more fruit. So if you can kind of think about this, you know, God's reward to you producing fruit and producing his character inside your life is pruning. It's and that pruning happens so you can bear more fruit. I bought a bonsai tree a couple of years ago and I killed it, but I tried. I bought a bonsai tree a couple of years ago <laughs> and I got the little scissors. I got everything, Doug. It was awesome. <laughs> and I had it set up at home and like I was pastoring and I, cause I, I had this like thing of like roots and fruit. Lord spoke about years before I made the, uh, the sermon series. And I would snip the tree and I watch it grow the way that I was cutting it. And then naturally, like most things, you forget about it. And unfortunately, the bonsai tree died. <laughs> um, but I love watching as I would cut the small pieces to see how it changed its growth. But I always had to cut to make it grow. God always cuts to make you grow. And in between fruit and more fruit is always a knife. There is nothing like seriously, there's no like pretty moment between fruit and more fruit. You're bearing fruit for Jesus. You're being made holy because he makes you holy. And then he says, all right, ready for another step of holiness? Well, Fusion Church, you ready? Here comes the knife. <laughs> Here comes another cut. Here comes a little bit of pruning. Here we go. And it stings just a little bit. But the reason is because he wants us to bear fruit for him. And it's a beautiful thing because God disciplines those who love him. So when he's getting ready to move you from this stage to the next, he's always going to cut you back just a little bit, but that's just so you can grow beyond your previous cut. All right, let's take a look. Verse seven. They must not marry women defiled by prostitution or divorced from their husbands because priests are holy to their God. Whoo! Oh my goodness. <laughs> I love the Bible. Because God, again, he is bringing these people to another place. He is looking to have these priests live in a stage of holiness that is so pure. Um, kind of what we were alluding to earlier, and I want to bring it into today now, because when we read things uh, inside of their context, it's great. But the Holy Spirit breathed on his word today. Um, the priests were to model the highest standard of conduct and highest standard of life to the nation of Israel. And what God was looking for was for them to live totally holy, dedicated lives to him. We are to follow that same pattern of God. I'm totally dedicated to you, totally sanctified to you, consecrated to you. And I want you to have all of my life. God wanted total integrity inside of the life of the priest. And when you read this verse and you read verses about like the daughter side of things, you know, it 
and, and let's just like be honest, right? Let's like be transparent here. Sometimes those verses could rub us the wrong way because we're trying to understand the nature and character of God, who is a loving God. But then there's areas where it's like, whoa, all right, that, like, that's, that may sound a little bit sharp this morning. You know, that's a little sharp for 627 in the morning. However, understand God wanted total integrity inside of their lives. So they were the same person outside that they were portraying to a nation as they were when those 10 doors were closed or 10 curtains were closed. And this is for all of us today too, church. This is for every last one of us. God wants us to be the same person that we see on Sunday morning, greeting, hospitality, right? Prayer team, walking in and out of the building, uh, serving wherever on dream team in your connect groups as we are at home when we close that door and when we're with our husbands and our wives. He wants us the same person all the time, every time. The word integrity comes from this uh, Greek word, and it's called integritus. Integritus back in uh, the Roman time was a military word. So when you think of the word integrity, it's a military word. Uh, What would happen is a Roman centurion would be testing a new soldier, and they would put a breastplate on them, and he would grab this uh, training sword. And he would smack their chest over and over again. And every time he hit them, he would say the word integritus, 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 because they believed that the integrity of an individual was inside of their heart. And if the integrity of them in battle was protected by a breastplate, then it needed to be the strongest area. And what it's saying is the heart has to be an integrity. The heart has to be strong. The heart has to be the same place it is in training as it would be in war, right? The armor has to be battle tested when it's getting tested in uh, training as it would be in actual warfare. So God wants us to live this life of integrity before people. And main reason is your life is God's story to the world. Second Corinthians 3, 2 says the only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves your lives are a written or a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Paul is writing to the church, Corinthian church and he says, you yourself are a letter. You yourself are something written by Christ that we had the privilege of even being a part of. And what it's telling the world is I'm a Christ follower. What's telling the world is this person has dedicated themselves. This person has said, I want to be made holy as God is holy. Uh, Second Corinthians 3, 2, Deb. And it's saying, I want people to read me and see him. I want people to read my life and see the life of Jesus. And there's an old preacher saying that partners with this. If you have spent any time in church, you'll know this. You may be the only Bible someone reads. Your life may be the only Bible someone ever reads or sees. And I don't know about you, but I want them to clearly see this book in my life. I want them to clearly see the principles of God in my life. I want them to clearly see the nature of Jesus in my life. And of course, there's grace for the times when we're not. Of course, there is forgiveness and mercy that is unending for the times that we're not. But as far as what I want them to see, I want them to see the love of Jesus in my life. And it's because you may be the only Bible, the only letter that they may see in their entire life. And if we have the privilege of being the life-giving words of Jesus to someone, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. 
So our application for that one is what do people read from your life? Uh, as I was making this, I was working on this last night. It was probably like midnight and I'm reading through my notes. And as I was kind of closing that point up, that application point, I was reminded of that old song from Frank Sinatra. I'm sorry, I won't call it old. I'll say that song from Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. Come on, what a song, right? And as I was thinking about that song, and this isn't a knock against the song, hear me, not a knock against the song. I started thinking, what a slap in the face to God. I did it my way. I live my life my way. I, I pray, church, that is never the cry of your heart and the cry of your mind that you did life your way. But you did life God's way. And hear me, it's a great song. I, I'm, I'm never against it. I thought it was an amazing song. But on the other side, I want to do things Jesus' way. The cry of my heart, the song of my life, I don't want it to be, yeah, Harry did it Harry's way. No. Harry did it Jesus's way. So when people read from your life, do they see, yeah, they are the author of their own life? Or do they look at you and say, no, God is the author of their life. God is the one who is writing their pages. God is the one that is directing their orders and directing their steps. So one last spot, and we'll close on this. Verse 10 and verse 11 and verse 12. Uh, I'm not going to read them, but I'll just give a really brief overview. On these verses, these are the areas where it was talking about, um, you know, uh, upkeep, things like that, keeping yourself at a certain place, keeping yourself ready to minister basically for the priests. Uh, and it was very detailed. You know, you had the verses of like the beard, the hair, and it actually goes on a little bit further, you know, the beard, the hair, what your clothes have to look like. You just basically just don't want to be unkempt as a priest. Uh, bring it into today's world and kind of the why behind the what priests needed to be ready to minister at any time. They had a very important work from God and it was to minister. And what he's saying is if you're unclean and you're unready and you're not ready to rock and ready to roll and jump on what I want you to do, then it's not going to get done. What's going to happen? And it reminded me of that verse in Second Timothy. Second Timothy four uh, two. It says, "Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Be ready at all times to give an account for your faith. Be ready at all times to give an answer as to why you believe. Be ready at all times to tell people about why you have hope beyond the grave, right? That when my body goes to rest inside of there, why is it I believe one day I'm going to see a living God that has written my name in the book of life? And y'all, he spelled it right. And he has a place for me up there. Be ready at all times to give that account. Because, uh, right, confession time for all of us. I think we have all had moments in our life where someone asked us a question about our faith. And more than likely, we didn't feel ready for it, right? More than likely, that question came up was like, oh, I just don't know, <laughs> you know? And we start thinking through these things like, oh, man, I, you want to know what? I did skip devotional for the past three mornings. Dang. You know, it's always those times when those questions come up like, ah, I skipped soap a couple of days and all of a sudden I'm getting questions from people about the faith. You mean to tell me I faithfully soaked for three months? And I, I missed three days and now I get all those questions in the world about the faith, right? It's always like that time period when it happens. 
Um, I, I just want to encourage you in something. You'll never have all the answers. You'll never have every answer, every detail to every apologetic, every question about the faith. Uh, if you do, God bless you. That's incredible. Like I honor you and empower you, but there are more questions than answers at times. And um, you can study, 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 and you really want to study to show yourself approved before God and study to show that you've done your homework and you have a heart after the Lord. But on the other side, uh, we just won't have all the answers and it's okay that we don't. And always remember, as we are trying to live a life, always ready to minister, always ready to serve, always ready to jump on it. Um, you are after the hearts of people. You are after people's salvation and their eternity. Sometimes when we are looking at um, conversations and debates with some people, uh, we are looking when those questions come up about the faith. This happened last night at youth. It was so awesome. Uh, a student brought up there like, you know, what do I do? What do I say? When, um, oh gosh, what was it? When someone thinks my faith is meaningless and unproductive, right? And it's not doing anything. And as she was bringing it up, you know, of course you go to like, dang, all right. So this is her world right now. So what she's dealing with. Um, uh, and as she was like diving into this, I, I really just felt led. I was like, you know, you always want to understand the heart of an individual. And always remember you're after the heart of people. You're not after winning a debate. You're not after winning a conversation. You know, we don't study to show ourselves approved to win a conversation. We don't uh, study to show ourselves approved uh, to try and even win a debate. We are there after people's eternities. I ask more questions than I give answers. I always want to know why. I always want to know, you know, what leads you to this question or, you know, I don't have an answer. I have no problem saying, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm not God. I don't know. I'll try to answer, <laughs> but I'm after someone's heart and church so many times just walking low, walking humbly and asking questions and watch as the Holy Spirit lights something up. Cause so many times you find out people are asking questions about the faith and you just being ready in season and out of season is being sensitive with the Holy Spirit and knowing his word and knowing his heart. As you start asking questions, you'll realize there's pain inside of that heart somewhere. And there's a person that needs to be reconciled to Jesus and you'll never know. And you'll be having a conversation debating with someone until you realize this person is just hurt. And I know a healer because I've prepared in the secret place. I have set myself aside. I've dedicated myself to say, God, I want to be consecrated to you. I want to be holy to you so I can see your holiness here. Amen, church. So. We always want to live a life that is interruptible. And that's my application for this last part. If God were to interrupt your entire day, what would it look like? And are you open to God interrupting your day? Are you open to God interrupting your here and now for the sake of his kingdom and the sake of his glory? So just to recap, application questions, take some time or applications, take some time and reflect on where God brought you from. What is God pruning inside of your life? What do people read from your life? And if God were to interrupt your day, would you let him? An old mentor shared this with me. I'll close on this note. An old mentor shared with me years ago. I came to Jesus. I was running around everywhere. I was in church like six nights a week. I loved it. I was addicted. I was at this connect group over here. I was at that Bible study over here. I was serving over here. Loved it. I was a young guy anyway. Like, why not? 
better to be in church at 20 than out running, doing half the stuff I was doing before. And uh, I sat down with his mentor. He was just telling me about the faith, talking about his life, his marriage, all that stuff. And he just kind of hit pause on me. And he goes, just a quick question for you. Uh, do you have margin in your life for God to show up and do the unexpected? And my first thought was, of course I do. Like, I always welcome the unexpected. I always welcome God to move. And he said, no, do you have margin for it? Do you have space for it? And I said, explain. And he shared with me, you know, you always want to live an interruptible lifestyle, a life that's willing to be interrupted by a spontaneous God, a life that's willing to be interrupted by a God who sends people and commissions them in a moment. Are you interrupt living an interruptible life before the God of suddenlies? And I was like, okay, I guess not. So, you know, explain to me. And he said, I want to challenge you everywhere you go, go there 15 minutes earlier and leave that margin for God to do something. And I don't have a 15 minute margin all the time nowadays, uh, but I do try and leave five minutes. Whenever I go somewhere, I have, I'm there five minutes early to leave margin for God to do something. And I sit there and I always pray. If I pull up to a meeting, that's supposed to be 9 a.m. I'm there at 8.55. And I sit there and I wait and I say, God, what do you want to do? Holy Spirit, I'm watching you. What is it you want to do? And that's my way of just saying, church, how is your life interruptible today? Are you leaving open space for God to intervene and say, I'm here to do something today. This is my day now. So that's all. I want to drop that into you, whatever that looks like for you. And I pray you're all doing well. I pray you all have a great week. I will see you again on Thursday. So it's not just once this week. We get each other twice. So I look forward to seeing you then. And I hope the word of God blessed you today and refreshed you. I know some of these chapters can be a little more difficult to swallow at times. We call it the vegetables of the faith. And uh, like Pastor Mark was saying, the pinching words, right? The When the word pinches back. But God honors your faith. I know that God always honors a hungry heart. So I'm very excited and eager and grateful for each and one of you here to listen and hear from God. Amen. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for everything you're doing inside of our lives. Lord, I just pray that you would prune us so we could bear more fruit. And God, I just pray you would interrupt our lives today. Uh, interject yourself into our day. Because we know when we don't make room for you, you tend to make room for yourself. So, Lord, if we're not making room for you, interrupt us. But we do ask, come and do the unexpected. Come and be who your word says you are, the God of suddenlies. And, Lord, we just pray that we would be a people holy to you, people consecrated and dedicated to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. All right, God bless you all. Have a great week.